Hello. This is Positive and Negative, a podcast about the intersectionality of mental health and the arts. My guest this week is comedian Gary Goleman. We have an excellent conversation about depression and what it means to be a man in certain times and places. Also, how depression can affect your creative process. Here he is talking about how to push through. I I started talking about depression and my medicine worked. And so I had this, at least this area or topic that I could put some energy into trying to write some things. And it was, it was very rewarding to get those things to work. And I, I will say I probably wrote a lot of stuff that didn't work but the small chunks that worked were, were very were very rewarding and the feedback was was very good so I was I was able to sort of find that that vein and and keep keep digging into it and, and try to bring others other ideas and, and things and expand and I and I remembered how I wrote the previous mm-hmm. hour you can support us on Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash Tristan J. Miller to support us there. Um, also, rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. Okay, let's just get to the interview, shall we? Number one, thank you for doing this. I oh, it's my it. pleasure. Yeah, and I appreciate you finding a time to do so. No, um, th- thanks for coming up. We're, we're in Harlem. Let's set the scene. We're in my living room mm-hmm. where I do uh, about... A half of my living <laughs> and we're in Harlem on the 12th floor we have a nice view and it's a nice sunny day but it's very cold out yes it is okay and yes. we're both wearing t-shirts and jeans basically yeah. very relaxed atmosphere we're in our socks because it's a it's a shoes off apartment yes <laughs> you are a stand-up comedian and yes where did you first start doing that I started on October 8th 1993 <laughs> in in Boston Massachusetts mm-hmm. in a comedy club called Nick's Comedy Stop, which was a place I had gone to when I was in high school, and I'd seen some really great comedians there, mm-hmm. and I went on an open mic, and it, it went pretty well, and I was hooked, yeah. and that's, so that's 20, over 25 years ago. Wow, well, yeah. congrats on that. You're yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> as it says, on the board. Um, <laughs> a visual joke, always good. Is yeah, yeah, always good with the radio. <laughs> I, I, to, to clarify, I have a cue card from a TV set that I did where they wrote Gary Goleman, who just killed it, mm-hmm. and I pointed out to them that they had written that before I even went on. So they <laughs> Very were confident just in really, <laughs> really optimistic. And, yeah. yeah. And before you started doing stand-up, you were a teacher, right? Yeah, I was. A, that was my last job as a, as a civilian was <laughs> substitute teaching, which um, that was December twenty fourth, nineteen ninety eight, was my last day as a substitute teacher at my old. At my old high school, yeah. and that that was a that was a great job. That's like the perfect day job for for a stand up. Really? Yeah. Why is that? You think? Because you you have to get up early, so you're not tempted to mm-hmm. waste an entire day. Yeah. And you get to be around people. You're doing something good with your with your time, mm-hmm. and you have your evenings free and you can always if you're really wiped out you can take a nap after school <laughs> and then go do your shows at, at night mm-hmm. and it's you're not making enough money where you're like oh the money's too good to leave this <laughs> yeah so yeah. it's it's actually ideal yeah but at my school you needed a i think a college degree but i uh-huh. i mean they never checked so <laughs> I'm, Noted. I'm sure just as long as you don't have a record or something mm-hmm. i don't know what the <laughs> what the background check is like but uh-huh. It was pretty easy. Okay, noted. You and Lynn Manuel are the only people that I know were that were like substitute teachers, and you also both live in Harlem. So are you? Yes. Are you secretly a Pulitzer Prize winning? <laughs> no, no. But I, I was on the short list for the uh, Nobel Prize for Good Comedy last year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. a Nobel Prize for that. For good, for good comedy. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's called the Nobel Prize for, for good, good comedy. comedy. Excellent yes. comedy. Yes. yes. Um, <laughs> no, just good. Just good comedy. Yeah. No excellent comedy. Yeah. No world changing. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, we want to let you know you're adequate, but yes. in a global sense. You yes. averaged ab- adequate in a global sense. Yeah. That's fun. Okay. So you are, it is 1993. You are yeah. still a substitute teacher. You were starting comedy. I, I actually, when I started comedy, mm-hmm. I worked for an accounting firm. Oh. I, was, I was an auditor. Not a tax auditor, just a, a financial statements auditor where you would just check the the 
guess all the paperwork involved in building financial <laughs> statements, which is that sounds I can't fun. think of anything more <laughs> more boring. But I, I will say the people I've worked with were really nice mm-hmm. and funny. We mm-hmm. had a really good time. Mm-hmm. But the the job itself, the work itself, was was mind numbing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that sounds like something that you'd need a degree in. Is that what you yeah. had? Yeah. Yeah. My degree is in, in accounting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was very practical up until I was about 23 years old. Mm-hmm. And then I I just, I kind of realized that the idea of security, financial or otherwise, was, was really a crapshoot anyhow. Mm-hmm. And I might as well be insecure in something that I... Something that I love, so yeah, yeah. That that's um, also I wasn't very good at at the auditing or the accounting, and it was really hard. <laughs> so that makes it easy. And I couldn't rationalize or <laughs> reconcile anything. Yeah. With with life or ethics or anything. I mean, it was. It was a, I guess it's an ethical profession. I I just don't know that it's it's so helpful to the the world in general <laughs> yeah yeah keeping things organized um and i mean like and that kind of um but i do love numbers you do yeah is that how you like approach joke writing it's like it's a numbers game no you? no i do like playing with numbers within within jokes and mm-hmm. statistics and mm-hmm. and sort of but but there's there are funny numbers mm-hmm. i find and and there. are just funny figures, and and I love the the balance involved in in numbers, and I have mm-hmm. you know sort of OCD mm-hmm. obsessions with certain numbers and counting, and and so yeah, yeah I'm very numbers oriented. Yeah. I I can definitely empathize with that. Um, I work at a shop, and I was closing out the till, and every time the till is exactly where we need to start at the beginning of the day, it's yeah. so oh, much, such so a... so gratifying. Oh. Yes. I had, this, <laughs> <laughs> I had this thought on the way here. It's weird to think of 25 as an odd number. Right. Oh, yeah, I know. It's so it, true. Because yeah. it feels round, but yeah. it ain't. Yeah, um, But, yeah. Five in general is a... Is a is a it yeah, should be. Even, it should be. Let's all agree even that it should odd be number. Even, yeah. <laughs> but... The, I, I remember Seinfeld saying that that geometry was actually the class for for comedians, like yeah. proofs, proofs, proofs. Like you're, it's, he felt you were essentially trying to prove something that was false to be true within a within a joke, which is a huge generalization. Generalization, I'm sure it doesn't hold up under scrutiny. But I, I thought that was interesting because mm-hmm. I I really enjoyed the the results of of proofs that that they were mm-hmm. very. Again, very gratifying. Yeah. yeah. Satisfying, gratifying. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, and when we first met, we were doing a show and you were doing a set about growing yeah. up in the 80s and certain yeah. expectations that were placed upon you. Because um, you did this really great, a very funny bit that I really enjoyed about Harrison Ford. Yes. And <laughs> I, I, yeah, it was very good. And I would love to hear more about that in a less funny way, but in an informative oh. way. But like, what pressures you felt like growing up? Well, yeah, there were, there was a there was a really narrow definition for for masculinity and manhood, at least within my community and my my circle. I grew up in in New England, in Massachusetts, during the seventies mm-hmm. and eighties, and, and was like a adolescent in the in the eighties. Mm-hmm. And I I just remember there were there were just things that that were considered soft or feminine mm-hmm. and they really were it was it was pretty subjective that that certain like for instance the the soda sprite was considered a, a woman's <laughs> beverage and uh, of of course figure skating and gymnastics yeah. and things like that were mm-hmm. considered Feminine and, and mm-hmm. soft, even though they're they're really strenuous and brutal and mm-hmm. require great great physical and mental strength. So, so mm-hmm. there was just soccer was actually considered soft. Interesting. Yeah, in the in the seventies and eighties, in in my community, so- soccer didn't get much respect. And and yeah, and football was was sort of the the king in my high school, mm-hmm. and and basketball less so because it wasn't as it wasn't as aggressive, and mm-hmm. and baseball fell some somewhere <laughs> in the in the middle, and hockey was okay. Hockey yeah. was was approved of. Yeah. Did you um play a lot of sports? You're a very large. Yes. Individual. Yes. I'm 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 very athletic. Mm-hmm. Um. So I I grew up in my my first love was basketball, 
and mm-hmm. then I got sort of teased into playing football <laughs> my okay. my senior year, and I went out for football, and and then and wound up playing well enough to get a, a scholarship to Boston College to play mm-hmm. football, and then th- my mind unraveled, and yeah. <laughs> that was like my first experience with with clinical depression. Sure. Clinny D. Clinny yeah. D. Yeah. 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 I forget who called it Clinny D. Um, but John Moe, I believe. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, who does another very good podcast, Hilarious yeah. World. Yeah. I'm a veteran depression. of yes. Hilarious World of Depression. Yes. Um, yeah. So far, I have two that are veterans, you and Sam Grittner. Oh, the, Sam's a great guy. Yeah. He's yeah. wonderful. What a man. Um, and you seem like a very, you seem very sensitive and attuned to people <laughs> and balancing I, I, for my own personal curiosity, do you think you e- exaggerated or added to that because you are so like you're what six three six 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 yeah you're a very large man yeah. and you have to like I would imagine you have to reassure people that you're not scary or mean a lot of the time is that correct or no yeah well I I I don't do that and I mm-hmm. I never thought I I had to because mm-hmm. I saw myself the way I I feel mm-hmm. and so it, it's possible that that I have thrown people off <laughs> and but but I I also know and maybe it's just my my age and experience I also know within seconds of meeting certain people oh I'm I'm safer on this yeah. this person they're they're gonna be yeah. they're gonna be nice and and thoughtful and sensitive so sure. Um, I guess I assumed that everybody has that, but maybe they they mm-hmm. don't. And and um, I I've probably gotten better at disarming people over the years, mm-hmm. hopefully, and and making them feel comfortable and and yeah. safe. And yeah, you, I hope so. I you absolutely at least in my experience you absolutely okay. yeah. yes. got a very gentle well, voice. Yeah. Well, I was a, I was a big fan of yours the first time I I saw you. Oh, I'm okay. I'm so impressed with you. With your work, I, I think you're going to do great things. Thank you. Um, as as long as you believe and persist. Yes. Because there there will be a number of times when you'll want to throw in the towel because yeah. it's really hard. It is. And to compound it with with a, any kind of difficulties, mentally and and mm-hmm. um, emotionally, it it makes it harder. But if you persist. You'll be great. Well, thank you. Yes. I appreciate that, and it. Thank you for saying that. It's been yeah. a little difficult lately, but it's just you just gotta keep going. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. New York is is really competitive. <laughs> yeah. For comedians, comedy has never been more competitive, and it's possible that New York and LA are the most competitive. Mm-hmm. And I, I hate that it is a, a competition, but there's just so much stage time. But yeah. 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 And it's it's worth hanging in there because it, it it amazes me sometimes how much how much progress you can make in in a really short time and yeah like i thought this was going to take four or five years and then within a weekend something something clicks or you get a an opportunity or a breakthrough and and everything's different yeah yeah that makes sense was it um do you, would you say it was less competitive when you were growing yes up? yeah oh, yeah yeah, comedy was was less competitive. It was easier to get on stage, and it wasn't that easy. <laughs> it was difficult, yeah. but it was so much easier than it is now. And mm-hmm. I really, I think, I I I mean, it, in some ways, I I feel feel sorry for the people who have to start now, especially mm-hmm. in New York, because I had an easier road of it. But the on the other side of it, they're they're going to be better than than the prior generation yeah. because of the the amount of effort and work it takes to really stand out when the when the field is so so crowded so it's sort of a sometimes you question well how will this be great yeah how will this be helpful and and that's how i how i see it yeah like i think every generation probably faces the same thing that it's a little bit harder than yeah. the, than the prior generation to to move ahead because when I first started doing comedy it was after a comedy boom so places were closing so the guys who were older than me would say oh you really missed it but I can say I can say I can say that to you that you missed yeah. it it was easier yeah. it was sure. easier to get on stage <laughs> there were more more clubs and you could make a living as a as a middle act a lot easier than than guys do do now yeah, yeah. and you you mentioned about when we were talking about like 
how you feel on the inside. And yeah. you also mentioned that was the first time you, um, you were 20, you said you were 23 when you had your first experience with uh, clinical depression or? No, I was first no. diagnosed with it at, at um, 18 or 19, 18. Oh, my, sorry, my freshman, the summer before my freshman year of, of college. I was at, I was at um, mm-hmm. pre, preseason training camp for mm-hmm. football and I, yeah, that that was the first time I, I saw a therapist and got diagnosed and, mm-hmm. and started going to therapy and then later on got prescribed antidepressants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how what was that experience like specifically being at like a football camp and then going from that to a therapist? It was I, w- I will say it, it, at first I I didn't I didn't have any kind of idea as to what would transpire at the at the mm-hmm. session. Mm-hmm. All I had was a few movies. I think One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest oh. was the, was really the only mental health movie that I was I was familiar with. Uh-huh. And I'm sure I came across some sort of therapy sessions on television from time to time, but they were always always done either for for laughs or yeah. I mean, yeah. there was a show called The Bob Newhart Show when I was growing up, mm-hmm. and he was a he was a therapist, so it was it was played for laughs. So sure. So that and the people were very were very crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, I I feel like as a crazy person, I it's okay for me to use crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't. I feel uncomfortable when people who aren't crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel a similar way. And also, like, I feel like at a certain point you have to go, well, this this is insane. What is happening? Like, yeah. there are certain situations yeah. that are reserved yeah. for, like, oh, this is too much. Yeah. But, yeah. I but, I, but I, I will say when I got to therapy, even the first mm-hmm. session, I was like, this is a revelation. This is such a relief mm-hmm. to be able to unburden myself of all these thoughts and concerns and worries and... And the relationship I had with that therapist lasted for, even after college, I would mm-hmm. I would see him pretty regularly, and wow. it was it was so helpful. It was life saving and also um, life improving. Mm-hmm. It it really it made me a, a much better human being and and healthier, and yeah. So that but but I I had experienced depression before that. I just didn't have a diagnosis. Of course, and, and just thought that was. I was who I am. That was my personality. I was, I was mostly sad and <laughs> and fearful, negative, and insecure. Yeah. 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 So, what when you were talking about being able to finally let all these thoughts and feelings out? What were the like some examples of well, like, how I, were you feeling? I, I know that I had like been. Um, I'd been devastated by a, a, a relationship in, in high school, mm-hmm. um, and for about a week, I'd been able to talk to it about friends and family, mm-hmm. and then after about a week, it was like um, a combination of them not wanting to listen <laughs> anymore, and sure. also my my own personal, I shouldn't be talking about this anymore, I should be over it by now. Mm-hmm. So I had sort of suppressed a lot of, a lot of fears and feelings about relationships and and concerns like it was it was really strange by the time i got to to college i was just desperately lonely and in and so nervous around um women and dating and things like that i just was incredibly insecure and and could not fathom having a a normal relationship with a with a woman because I, I was just so shy around them and yeah. so nervous and and didn't know how to how to behave and it, and I look back on it it seems r- ridiculous but it was it was one of my number one concerns in in mm-hmm. life that I was going to grow old and and die alone <laughs> yeah, yeah I think a lot of young men specifically worry yeah. about that and yeah how's it now <laughs> <laughs> I I mean, obviously, I'm much much more comfortable with with mm-hmm. with my ability to to maintain a relationship and mm-hmm. and well, that's good. even but but back then it was even like I could be friends with women, but mm-hmm. anything past that would 
bring me great <laughs> oh yeah because you're great anxiety i'm i'm sure because specifically yeah. when because you're all it's the, the scariest thing i think about life is that we're all just figuring it out and making it up as we go along yes. including relationships and you don't want to yeah. hurt people yeah and yeah. unless you're a kind of person that does and i don't right. think you are no i think you show that constantly i hope so yeah and so but yeah that would be really yeah. but it's 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 crazy to me mm-hmm. because yeah i did have a lot of women friends mm-hmm. and felt very comfortable in that regard but but actually being in a in a relationship was was so anxiety provoking mm-hmm. and um you mentioned that like you felt this way when you were younger and you just kind of assimilated it as part of your personality and how was that what was the process like unlearning those bad habits of like this isn't my personalities or this is an outside force acting upon it oh i mean that's something that's that's taken a really long time to mm-hmm. to figure out and and understand and and it's just it's sort of a, a existentialist question as <laughs> as well like who yeah. who am i mm-hmm. because for for years on end i've been the depressed person and mm-hmm. and just like for instance i always bring food or flowers to people's houses when i'm invited for for dinner now mm-hmm. and i always iron my shirts before my my shows mm-hmm. but when i was depressed and this was for for years i mm-hmm. i barely was on time getting to the people's homes for for yeah. dinner and was late most frequently mm-hmm. and so never had time to pick up anything or plan ahead and i was sleeping a lot of times right up until my my show time mm-hmm. and so I didn't I didn't wear anything that that wasn't either wrinkle proof or <laughs> was something like a t-shirt that I could just put on and it would sort of de-wrinkle itself with, with body heat. So <laughs> so who is the real Gary Goldman, the guy who brings you the flowers if he's invited for dinner mm-hmm. or the guy who shows up 45 minutes late and is is fairly silent during the entire meal because mm-hmm. most people probably have a 50-50 experience with me over the past 10 years. I'm, I haven't I haven't been been healthy more than 50% of the time. So so does that answer the question? I'm, I'm I mean, trying to So it, it it's an example of the answer. Yeah. Um which was you're still working on it. I can yeah. think is the answer. Yeah. Which makes yeah. sense because I feel like specifically from what I understand of you growing up it would be very beaten into you that like this is like part of you and not like I would imagine it would be very difficult to to acknowledge it as an illness at, rather than just oh I'm sad as a person right and that's that's hard and I would also say and this I guess is just my point of view in general like you're who is the real Gary Goldman well it's the best version of you yeah. I think everyone's themselves when they're at their best right yeah that's a great way to look at it that's a great point because it's you know because otherwise you're like well people everybody is terrible because because everyone's when they're not their best they're hard and so yeah when they feel the best that's i think when people are themselves um but that was a little bit like we were talking about like your first experience with uh depression what is it what is it like for you now? How do you navigate it? Well, th- over the past year, like since October of, of 2017, mm-hmm. I've I've been feeling very well. Good. And been productive and creative and and looking forward to things and enjoying my my life. I w- I will say there was my I had two Cavalier King Charles Spaniels and there are various pictures and mm-hmm. other evidence of them throughout the throughout the home but mm-hmm. um, one of them passed away in, oh. in August and we were we were really close and okay. I for a week I was pretty good mm-hmm. and was really sad and mourning but but not blaming myself and, and mm-hmm. not 
not feeling really terrible. And I normally over the years I would just sink into it and mm-hmm. and say, well, this is the new level, and it's not as bad as it was a year before. So I'll go with this. And mm-hmm. I was I was really proud of myself because I went to my psychiatrist and I said, this is going on, and these are sort of depressed thoughts Mm -hmm. not just sad and and mourning thoughts these Mm -hmm. are depressed blaming myself feeling guilty and and not being able to to get out of bed with with the the same mood that I usually do Mm -hmm. and he said let's increase the Cymbalta Mm -hmm. and uh, by 20 milligrams from 60 to 80 Mm-hmm. And within a week, I was like, "Okay, this is this is better." I didn't I didn't forget about my dog, but mm-hmm. I I stopped blaming myself and feeling guilty, and I was able to to get out of bed easier, and and I I felt better, and I, I thought I I think growing up, I thought everybody feels lousy about themselves because they haven't done. A great thing mm-hmm. and once I do something great then I'll feel really good about myself mm-hmm. and I think I think a large perc- percentage of Americans feel that way and maybe mm-hmm. and maybe humans but then two summers ago I read Bruce Springsteen's autobiography and he talks about how he couldn't get out of bed and he was in his 50s and mm-hmm. up until that time I, I thought I really believed that if I had worked as hard and achieved as much as Bruce Springsteen, that I would be happy just just based on on those circumstances. And and I when I found out that he wasn't, I it finally, after my entire life, it dawned on me that there was there was no level of achievement and hard work that was going to make me yeah. feel good about myself because mm-hmm. I I'd, I'd even heard other successful people say they were depressed uh, and said well maybe because their careers and where they want it to be or or maybe they their um relationships are are bad they've been divorced so i i get it but when bruce said (laughs) that he couldn't get out of bed it it finally clicked with me that this is this is i mean i i from outside of it, I can say it's an illness, but from within it, mm-hmm. while I'm going through it, I only see it as, as a character flaw and, really? and sadness. But, but hopefully the next time, if, mm-hmm. and hopefully there won't be a next time, but if there is a next time, I'll be able to recognize. It's hard to convince people who are within it mm-hmm. that it's not their fault. It's really, really yeah. hard because the depression is so insidious that it tells you. It's part of the, it's one of the symptoms of depression to tell you. That it's your fault. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and just from, so from like a practical standpoint, I'm also very curious because you're on the road a lot yeah. as a comedian and say a prescription runs out or oh, you need to okay. talk to your therapist. How do you manage yeah. that from a day to day? Like when you're away and stuff? Well, yeah, I'm, I'm vigilant about my prescriptions yes, and I, I keep hope. them in my, in my carry on yeah. so that they don't get lost <laughs> in the, in the luggage. Yes. And I have had, a good relationship with with the pharmacists that mm-hmm. have provided over the years. Sure. And so I, I I'm I haven't had a situation where I'm on the road and I need a prescription mm-hmm. filled, and I wasn't able to. I've I've That's had great. to have it filled, but the pharmacists have have come together and mm-hmm. and collaborated <laughs> and, and made me well. The the other thing with travel is that I used to just sleep from the moment I got into the hotel mm-hmm. as frequently and as often as I could. And, and I used to think I was just tired and yeah. sleepy. And, and in some cases, that's the case if you're getting a really early flight. But for the most part, I was just depressed and putting off life. Yeah. And the the best thing that I've been able to do while while traveling is to exercise, and it used to be mm-hmm. for a three day stay in a in a town. I would say just exercise one time mm-hmm. while you're there, and usually it's three out of three days or two out of three days since Good. since I've been feeling better, and and 
exercise I've never found can take me out of the deep depression, but it can it can tip the scales mm-hmm. in, into a healthier outlook during during a day that you're on the fence about whether it's 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 going to be a good day or not. Mm-hmm. It's I don't, I don't know how other people's depressions manifest, but but I. I have a what they call a diurnal vari- diurnal variation where I feel mm-hmm. much better as the day um, progresses than I did in the, in the morning. Mornings are really really tough. Yeah. Yeah, I can sympathize with that. Okay. Yeah, it is. There's just some days you wake up and you're like, "This again." Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I I've watched like your special and then a few of your videos and that sort of thing and what it feels like you you talk a lot about like there's that bit about you being i think in trader joe's and a woman oh, in a yeah, cart yeah, yeah and you being like judgmental of this person and there are rules to society <laughs> yes. and that sort of thing <laughs> and do you think that comes from like an anxious place or do you think that's just who do you think that's personality yeah i think that's personality is this is yes yeah. and, and a lot of comedians have it they have this this uh, desire for for justice and to right wrongs and mm-hmm. to to get revenge on circumstances and and on on people and and the I used to think that comedians were or at least my version of comedy was that I would not have a snappy comeback to somebody carrying out an injustice against me or, mm-hmm. or hurting me or insulting me but if you gave me enough time and a, and a pad of paper and a pen <laughs> I would I would craft a perfect response mm-hmm. and and I think initially a lot of comedy is just snappy answers to stupid questions and then, <laughs> and then you you move on you you actually write things that are that are not based on coming mm-hmm. up with a, a, a quick comeback but mm-hmm. but I, I think that's that might be where where some of my my motivation for for writing jokes is to is to overcome these these injustices and these <laughs> these insults over the years. Sure. Day to day. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you uh, do you get anxious about shows? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Before every show, almost without exception, I'm I'm anxious. There's usually a time during the day where I'll say, if I was if I were to be introduced right now, I would have the best show of my life. And zero times in my 25 <laughs> career have those moments intersected. Yeah, yeah. Cause I like, get so anxious. And I, I saw Patton Oswalt in an interview last summer mm-hmm. where he said that, and it might have been the summer before, mm-hmm. the summer, he said that he still gets sick to his stomach. Before yeah. before a show, wow, and and he's incredible. So yeah, yeah, I don't get sick to my stomach every time, mm-hmm. but before a TV appearance or a sure. special, or sometimes you'll have certain people in the audience who you need to or want to mm-hmm. impress, and so when I did the Montreal Comedy Festival mm-hmm. this past summer, and it was my third or fourth time. The, before the first show, I was very I was very anxious about about doing it because I didn't know who would, whether anybody would show up, and I didn't know whether the jokes would translate to a to another country and whether they would have similar references. So I did all kinds of of research into what 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 part of my act would would cross over and things mm-hmm. like that. So I was prepared and, and a lot of times I can put my, my anxiety into preparation and that's really, really helpful. Mm-hmm. It takes your mind off it and also makes you a, a better comic. But there's that, that time when you've done all the preparing you can do and the show is still a half hour away where you're just like pacing and worrying that the audience is not good or they're, mm-hmm. or this person who's going on before you is doing so well that they're they're not going to Mm-hmm. like you and I find that most of the time it's it's unfounded mm-hmm. and yeah I don't I really even when I bomb for me it would be fine for the person I was when I first started it would be like oh that was a pretty good mm-hmm. pretty good set but but now that the bar you set for yourself is, is higher absolutely yeah, yeah. 
and I have two thoughts and then a follow-up. My first thought is like, my goal always is to be as comfortable on stage as I am at my home rehearsing the jokes. Yes. Because then, you know, because at least the way I do it, like I run the thing and I start ad-libbing and I'm like, oh, that's yeah. funny. And I'm yeah. like, where is this? When yeah, I go where's that guy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who yeah. is he? Um, the other thing is like, uh, I'm never afraid that the show's not going to go well because I can always get over like my ego getting hurt, but I'm always okay. worried that no one's going to show up. And oh, I think yeah. that's a difference between where we are in our careers. Yeah. But but like, I still have that because, for instance, let me think. Where was it? Uh, Foxwoods Casino in, in Connecticut. Okay. I, didn't, I didn't check to see how many tickets we had sold. And the, the last ticket count I had was like 600 a few months ago for mm-hmm. a, for a 1,400 or 1,500 seater. Yeah. And so I'm looking from behind the curtains and mm-hmm. people are coming in. And at first I'm, I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to be performing to half a house. And then by the grace of God, it was, <laughs> it was full. But, but I was, yeah. yeah, I was really anxious the, yeah. the whole day about whether people would show up. And you try to tell yourself, uh, it doesn't matter. You've done your best. It's just the casino. But at the mm-hmm. same time, you walk out there and it's half full, and you think, "Oh, well, I've got a long way to go." And yeah. and I I do, but it's it's almost never helpful while you're climbing a mountain to look up at the top of the mountain. <laughs> Try to, and I think that's such a great uh, metaphor for for comedy. Yeah. Look look at the, your act and where you want mm-hmm. it to go. Don't look where the 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 Kevin Hart's are performing. Yeah. 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 If Kevin Hart only sells fifteen hundred tickets yeah. to a show, it's a real problem. <laughs> <laughs> and how yeah. do you um you talked about like doing a lot of research and preparing. Is yeah. that the only way you soothe your anxiety before a show? Um, I do some 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 prayers. I have certain prayers that I mm-hmm. say and some some breathing and mm-hmm. I there's some some music I sometimes listen to and sometimes talking to the other comedians is is helpful and but a lot of times it's just pacing back and forth and and deciding on what I'm going to mm-hmm. open with and and luckily almost without exception at least on the live shows where there's not a, a camera it goes away right away. But whenever mm-hmm. I do TV, there's always a moment during the set where I think, oh, this is on TV right now. I, I, I hope you're not doing certain physical nervous mm-hmm. ticks over and over again during this set that is going to distract people and make you look nervous because mm-hmm. it's hard not to, to be nervous when you're, when you're doing a TV set. It's just... Yeah. It's, and there are plenty of people who don't get nervous, but I'm not one of them. <laughs> Being on TV makes me anxious. I mean, I think that's a reasonable reaction to a certain yeah. extent. Is like yeah. there's, a, there's a fair amount of, not to make you nervous, but there's a fair amount right. of stakes there. Yeah. Um, but you. But in reality, there aren't any stakes. Yeah. Because at, th- at this point in in show business, mm-hmm. you're not going to make or break a career with a single television appearance. Yeah, it's not like Carson. Right, yeah. and even Carson wasn't like Carson. Yeah. The the it's exaggerated how yeah. how influential it it was. I think yes, some of the guys would be famous the next day, but you could probably count on one hand how many cases that was. I remember mm-hmm. this guy after I did my first Tonight Show with Jay Leno. He told me when I did it, you were famous the next day, and I didn't say it to him. But I thought it's myself. Mm-hmm. I have no idea who you are. <laughs> so if you got famous from doing Carson, yeah, because even like Steve Martin in his book was like, "I did the Tonight Show five times." Yes. And then it hit. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Steve Martin. Yeah. Thank gosh. Yeah. Um, and talking a little bit about like being on TV and that sort of thing, um, we spoken previously, and you had mentioned, um leading up to and after your special that is on Netflix and I would say I watched it after last time we spoke it's very good oh thanks it's objectively very funny thank you um but you had some concerns and it you fell into an episode afterwards oh yeah and I would love to hear about that yeah 
so I, I, I shot it, and, and I'm, I'm not sure why this was the case, but I, I can say objectively that the audience wasn't as energetic for the shows. I did two of them. They weren't as energetic for the shows as the audiences had been throughout the, the tour I had done. It was, mm-hmm. it was called It's About Time Tour. Mm-hmm. And then the special is called It's About Time. And I just remember thinking, oh, I really needed the audience to to be really warm and hot and mm-hmm. um, warm and in accepting me and hot mm-hmm. and, and really reacting to the <laughs> jokes because that always gives me confidence and, and I need it for timing. Yeah. And I, I need it for my for my for my ego. <laughs> to to feel good about myself during the during the show sure. and I I put out better energy when when the audience is is delighting in it. So I I can say objectively that the audience wasn't as good. Not that they were terrible. I didn't bomb, mm-hmm. but they weren't as good as all the audiences I had performed in front of during the during the the tour. And then afterwards and I'd worked so hard and I'd worked for years and it was hard to even get um it took some time, several months, to find a production company that mm-hmm. that, that wanted to to um, pay for it and produce it, and, sure. and so it was it was just hard. And and then that night, I can remember just being like, "Wow, that was a letdown." And that was that was three or four years of of writing and road work and performing, and wow. it was it was disappointing. And mm-hmm. I wanted it to have gone gotten better mm-hmm. and I started to feel really really sad and I and I, my my one of my feelings was this was the best I could do I was mm-hmm. never going to write better jokes than I had than I had written mm-hmm. and and it wasn't good enough and then it took a while to sell it to Netflix it took yeah, yeah it took more than six months I think to to sell it to we went to different places but Ultimately, I wanted it to be on on Netflix. I had had a lot of success by having my previous specials on on Netflix, mm-hmm. and so that so that was that was troubling. And and sometimes you just need one one event to 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 really get the wheels in motion for for a nice dive into 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 the abyss of of deep major depressive disorder. So it mm-hmm. it. it couldn't have been that because my career had been in worse places mm-hmm. and I'd been in worse places financially, relationship wise, emotionally, mm-hmm. everything. It was just, I could probably count a dozen different things that, that contributed to that, but that was sort of the, the inciting incident that, that sent me on that. And I, and I, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's really, Really sad. I wish I, I wish I had been better equipped to, to deal with it. Like I'm making a new special a, a, again this probably at the beginning of 2019 or the first few months, mm-hmm. and I, I'm, I'm still anxious. Like, what if it doesn't go well? But at the same time, I'm, I'm certain that if I do go into a, a deep depression, it won't be because the special didn't go well. It'll be, it'll be <laughs> well, so, that's some, something else, which I think is growth. Yeah. That, that I'm prepared and I, I, it, it seemed personally re- perfectly reasonable to put all that weight on the special at the time. Mm-hmm. But now in retrospect, I realized that it just, it wasn't, it wasn't worth it at, at all. And, <laughs> And I, I, I wish I had had better perspective and mm-hmm. understood better. I just it was it was the first setback in a long time. I had mm-hmm. had a, I had had a nice run and mm-hmm. and it, it um, and I wasn't I wasn't prepared. Yeah, and I think I'll be more prepared. I'll, I I think with depression, I I'm always reticent to say I had it or I went mm-hmm. through it. I'm always more along the lines of somebody who's a, a survivor of an, another illness where they mm-hmm. say they're in remission or mm-hmm. or they're they're or a alcoholics anonymous they yeah. say i'm recovering yeah 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 it's yeah. like a it's like a recently broken up with relationship because they could text you at any moment yes. 
and you don't know. <laughs> yes. Yeah, absolutely. That makes sense. And but it sounds like you really took it to heart that experience, and you're like assimilated and you process moving forward, which is really great that you will you were able to turn what is objectively like a negative thing into yeah. like growth and positivity. Um, but how long did that last and how did you, because it, it, it lasted a while, you being bummed out about that. Yeah. And, and did it, how did it impact your like creative process and going back up on stage after you had done like an hour or something you'd worked on for a very long time? Not to, yeah. bum, not to make no, you upset no, no, again. No, 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 no. But no. like um, no. something that you worked very hard on for more than one year. And then how do you come, how did you come back from that? Yeah, I mean, I'd probably put in two and a half or three years into the to the writing of of what became that that show, which probably was probably like sixty five minutes, mm-hmm. and then I wrote over the next. So I shot that in two thousand fifteen, and until two thousand seventeen, I put together maybe seven minutes of the 100 minutes I tour with Mm -hmm. today. So everything, 93 minutes of what I will do tomorrow night, say in in Milwaukee, Mm -hmm. has been written since July of 2017. Mm -hmm. The two years are longer than that. After Mm -hmm. the special, I couldn't think of anything. Yeah. I my brain was was not working and that was and and that was a, another thing had i i know had i somehow been able to come up with some jokes and new stuff i would have been so energized by that that the mm-hmm. that the depression wouldn't have lasted as as long part of the problem with the depression was i wasn't able to write new jokes and without mm-hmm. new jokes at the level i am in in comedy mm-hmm. i'll get another tour out of the old jokes and then the audience will uh, half the audience will say well we saw the same thing last time I don't know that I want to go back yeah and I can promise you they're not going to come back a third mm-hmm. or fourth time if you're doing the same the same stuff not not these days mm-hmm. and so that, that became a, a that compounded the the depression I, I when I think back it's like yeah, it was a it was a setback with the the special, but was but the real problem was is that I thought I was finished creatively, and and that was was frightening and and yeah, ne- yeah nearly undid me. Yeah, um, and how did you work through that? <sighs> I don't know. Luckily, I came. I I started talking about depression, and yeah. my medicine worked, and so yeah. I had this at least this area or topic that I could put some energy into trying to write some things and it was it was very rewarding to get those things to work and I I will say I probably wrote a lot of stuff that didn't work but the small chunks that worked were were very were very rewarding and the feedback was was very good so I was I was able to sort of find that that vein and and keep keep digging into it and, and try to bring others other ideas and and things and expand and I and I remembered how I wrote the previous mm-hmm. hour and and started to apply my my sort of formula and approach to to the new stuff that I was creating and it, and it, and again I noticed that that when I'm first writing a joke it's maybe Maybe not even the the premise. The premise in that the topic will survive, but a lot of times the premise and the angle will not survive to mm-hmm. the to the final product. And so I remember that in in all the jokes that have been memorable over the over the years. And it, very rarely do they do they resemble what they started off with the first night you you did it. It's it's mostly I, I think a matter of of your your interest and your your attention on something and, and maybe that that works with some sort of subconscious where your mind is working on it when you're not thinking about mm-hmm. it but if you have an interest in writing jokes about depression just just write them mm-hmm. or an interest in anything just write jokes yeah. about that and 
eventually on stage one night you will get a sentence that is worth keeping yeah. and you may work on it to silence for for a long time but yeah. but if if you keep your attention on it and you and you are diligent you'll you'll get you'll get that sentence and that's funny and when that sentence works then then it's there's some running room for for to this is a football metaphor to gain <laughs> to gain some yardage yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah um that reminded me of something Carrie Fisher said, which is a joke is hope, isn't it? Oh wow! And like, oh, that when I first heard that, I was like, oh, that's the whole that's the whole worldview that I have. Oh my gosh! Did yeah. she did she say that in Wishful Drinking, or did um, she say it, it elsewhere? In, um, the best awful, the best which, awful, which is one of her novels. Okay. Yeah. Um, wow. And the other thing, and I think you kind of answered that, but the new hour, are you talking about? Mental health stuff? Yes. That's yeah. great. Yeah, extensively. Yeah. yeah. Um, how have audiences reacted to that? Because I know sometimes I start my set and I hear the whole, all the oxygen and go, oh, we wanted to drink and have fun. Yeah. I mean, th- th- I, I have an advantage in, in, in <laughs> sure. that most of the time the people are there to see me. Yes. So they've, uh, I've heard Jerry Seinfeld said that. If they know you, the audience will give you five minutes. Yeah, that's that's not true. It's it's most of the time the people are there few, to I... to see me, mm-hmm. and so I so they're used to me doing mm-hmm. very light light show. Yeah, and when I when I didn't always do this, I would just do however long it took to be doing really well and then mm-hmm. I would ease into stuff about my biographical stories about my depression and treatment and things like that and uh-huh. I and I eased into it over over uh, several months mm-hmm. and then I found sort of a narrative to tell this story mm-hmm. and so I get the, the idea of you only getting five minutes when you're when you're famous is complete horseshit. Um, you, you're, you've attracted people who love your sense of humor. Yeah. I mean, you're you get so much leeway. You still mm-hmm. have to write good jokes. Yeah. But anyhow, we could talk about this for hours. The, yeah. the point is, is that I think what's true is maybe I get a couple of minutes at the beginning where I can set up what's going on and, and not even a couple minutes 35 seconds to set up what what went on and mm-hmm. but but my instinct is always to try to even make the the setup f- funny yeah you've got all this all this time and all these sentences so i try to make the setup to the preamble to the show pretty <laughs> pretty funny so that the people will not be bummed out or or but there there are sometimes because sometimes mm-hmm. I have to do it in in comedy clubs when I'm when I when I was first working on it especially I needed mm-hmm. the reps the repetitions so I I was doing it in comedy clubs and there was there were a couple of times where I could tell the audience was not mm-hmm. was not very um, amenable to me being so so vulnerable and. I remember one one show in particular in in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Um, the manager, I don't know why he did this, but he showed me a um, comment card, and the person had written in all caps with countless exclamation points after it. Don't talk about depression. And it was like, oh, if you ever wanted me to double down, yeah, that's that's how you that's how you do it. Had it been a number of common cards, I would have, I would have maybe taken it to heart. But mm-hmm. the other thing is that people will say it's just very brave to talk about depression. Mm-hmm. For me, it hasn't been, hasn't required any any bravery because the feedback I get afterwards yeah. is, is so heartening and 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 so encouraging. So that's that's been been pretty easy. But if I were even if I'm doing the, the comedy seller and Maybe a, a quarter of the audience is familiar with my work. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm not doing depression jokes right off the the bat to to open with, and I'm I'm not doing the darkest darkest mm-hmm. stuff. 
at at a comedy club on a yeah. on a Saturday night on sure. a Sunday on a Monday. So you have to you have to pick your spots, and the worst thing you can do as a as a comedian is not protect your ideas and your and your jokes and your and your some guys don't mind doing a joke to silence but a lot of times even a joke that works over and over again if i get silence one night i start to second guess it mm -hmm. and if i'd never done the joke before i think i even comment on this sometimes on stage i'm say imagine if that was the first time i ever did that joke that has proven to be very popular and <laughs> and in some cases has millions of views mm -hmm. um and the audience is just like yeah we're not we're not interested in that <laughs> and i would i if brutal if my ego were any more fragile i would have just not done it ever again after it failed the first time but yeah. you kind of when a lot of young comedians ask, and I used to ask this, how many times do you give a joke until mm -hmm. you drop it? And it's like if it's a if it's a joke that's meaningful and original and important in some cases, like it's important that we talk about our our mental illness. It's really important. It's really mm -hmm. helpful. Then I wouldn't say go out and try it with the same exact words, delivery, sentence structure, and and grammar, mm -hmm. but keep slogging away at that mm -hmm. topic and because eventually you'll 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 crack it you'll, you'll well i can't promise that i mean <laughs> some people there's just no hope for but but yeah. with 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 you you have en enough talent mm -hmm. naturally and through your your hard work that that you'll be able to to crack it mm -hmm. and and the the other side of not performing in front of your own audience is you get really good at at comedy. Yeah. So it's unfortunate that everyone can't find their niche audience yeah. right away, but it also make it also builds your 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 skills and and mm -hmm. hones your you hone your your craft. And when you do get your own audience, it's it's incredibly rewarding, and you will improve and expand your your work exponentially mm -hmm. yeah yeah and what you just touched on kind of covers this but um what's like the biggest advice that you have for people who are creative people who are facing depression and how to push through it oh my gosh my brother used to tell me all the time don't give up don't give up and mm -hmm. it's impossible to hear that yeah you can listen, but I didn't hear it. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like I, I can't tell people that. I can only tell people that Wellbutrin is more effective than being Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He yeah. took antidepressants and he felt better. Yeah. I'm, I don't see them as a crutch. I, mm -hmm. I see them as, as the same way I would say take vitamin C if yeah. you have scurvy. Is that the one that... <laughs> yeah, that yeah. is. <laughs> if you're depressed, take antidepressants. And if you have scurvy, take vitamin C. And see a therapist. But honestly, when I was at my worst, a therapist was, was kind of like trying to rewire a building while it was on fire. <sighs> yeah. It was... It was hard. And I don't mm -hmm. know that it that it was helpful. I mean, it got me out of the house, but I just remember yeah. being in such pain on that, on that couch. I can't believe I recovered. So the other thing is that there's, there's hope. Don't, don't give up hope because mm -hmm. I, I felt I was hopeless, but I'm, I'm reading or rereading Mark Vonnegut, who's the son of the late Kurt Vonnegut. He's a pediatrician, but he wrote a book called the, the Eden Express about his, it's a memoir of his, battle with the schizophrenia and mm. and his father after that he was out of the woods and had two adult children of his own mm -hmm. said to him um something to the effect of uh, it's remarkable that you're doing so well and he said well i had a mild case <laughs> and that's that's how i feel there are yeah. people who have it, have had it 
worse as bad as I as I had it and I was hospitalized on on two occasions there are people who have had it even even worse so I completely understand if, if you're not feeling up to it today but maybe tomorrow yeah that's fighting that is yeah <laughs> I think that's a very very good sentiment on which to end and oh so, excellent this was so great thank you so much for having doing oh, this oh my pleasure and having me over offering me soda or water <laughs> Coca-Cola or water. That's what yeah. we have. Or almond milk. <laughs> Just yeah. a big the glass of still stands. <laughs> well, thank yeah. you. Thanks, man. You cannot be down, but you can try.